Hello and welcome to A Future Made. I'm Anna Pajajski and I'm a material scientist and writer. And I'm Robbie Armstrong, a reporter and journalist. Together we're bringing you A Future Made, a freshly minted podcast by Heriot Watt University. In this series, we aim to find out how pioneering research at Harriet Watt in the fields of science, business, technology, design and engineering is helping to change the future, solve the problems of today and make an impact on the global stage. Today, we're going to be talking about fast fashion, sustainability and rethinking design and we'll be hearing from academics in the University School of Textiles and Design. So I'll head to Heriot Watt's campus in the Scottish Borders, plus we'll chat to a Heriot Watt alumnus who set up an innovative business in this area. The School of Textiles and Design has taught garment manufacturing and fashion design from its historic Galashiels campus in the Scottish Borders for almost five decades. I'm going to call it Gala because Galashiels feels a little bit too formal to a Borders boy like me. Um, <laughs> but it has a, a really rich history of textile design. It's home to loads of businesses. We've got Canalba, we've got Johnston's of Elgin, they're all based around the borders. So in the centre of the campus, there's Netherdale House and there's this high mill and it's got a lot of history and that is where Bernard Klein, famous textile designer, actually lived for part of his career. He moved to the borders because of the tweed industry and in 1963, his tweed jacket was worn by Coco Chanel on the catwalk. So Paris, Milan, all these sort of fashion shows and catwalks wearing tweed, that really can be traced back to this man who sort of revolutionised and revitalised textiles in the borders. So without him, you know, we probably wouldn't be recording this podcast today. Yeah, you say revitalised this industry and the 60s is a really special time for wool and woolen industries in the British Isles because way ago in history wool was a really important material to us and then during the early part of the 20th century synthetic fibres really took off thanks to the world war and all of the material kind of trading breaking down due to the war so the 40s and 50s was a time when we invented polyester polyurethane all these type of synthetic textiles that we still use today they were really popular then and so the woolen industry just absolutely tanked because suddenly all these cheap fibres were coming onto the market. And in the 60s, the wool industry kind of sat down and they thought, right, we're going to have to really change how we're doing things because people just aren't buying our stuff anymore. And so they started to innovate with wool and they started to change the way that it was processed, space dyeing, you know, a real breakthrough in how they were changing colour and design Superwashing, which is where they kind of stop wool from felting in the wash so you can actually put it through a washing machine. All these new techniques and processes were developed in the 60s and the last half a century has just been more and more innovations in how we process and use natural fibres. And it sounds like the industry is still going really strong in the borders today. Absolutely. It's, it's the place to be. So the School of Textiles and Design is, is one of the oldest of its kind in the world. I was blown away by the innovation happening there and by the sort of range of opportunities afforded to the students. So we're discussing this week rethinking design and fast fashion is a huge part of that conversation. 
Grace Smith, she's the technical operator of the workshop in the campus in Galashiels. Screen print technical demonstrator is her proper title. She runs this really big workshop um, and we sort of bumped into her as she was coming out of a spin class. She just nipped in to work. She wasn't <laughs> expecting to see us, but we managed to corner her and chat to her because, you know, she is hands-on with all the students. She had a lot to say about the world of fast fashion. So I thought that would be a good place to start. It takes something like five tonnes of water to make a T-shirt. It's a huge amount of water that's used per T-shirt. But the regions that can grow cotton for your cotton T-shirt are water-deprived. So cotton likes a more arid climate, so that tends to be places like Bangladesh. But then obviously they're water-poor, and so it's like trying to find this balance. So we do have a significant amount of water on the planet, but it's trying to find a way of either making the process need less water, which they have done some research into creating dyeing without as much water, because obviously dyeing something takes a lot of water. There you go. You can actually hear the drip of water in the background because we were in the <laughs> studio in the workshop and there was like a dripping tap that couldn't be turned off. So I thought it was quite appropriate talking <laughs> about water with that that sound effect in the background. <laughs> yeah, I knew that cotton materials take a lot of water, but I suppose I hadn't quite appreciated how geographically specific that problem is. <laughs> you know, the, the, the very countries that I have appropriate climates for growing cotton are also countries that struggle with water management and, and the availability of water. So it's obvious that that's kind of an automatic problem, especially if our demand for cotton through fast fashion is just increasing and increasing. There's all sorts of knock-on effects from this industry. One of the facts that uh, Grace touched upon there, 2,700 litres to produce the cotton to make a single t-shirt. So if you imagine buying mm. that t-shirt for under a fiver and wearing it once and then chucking it away, that's all, almost 3,000 litres used to produce that. And that's before you take into consideration any of the other factors like the bleaching of the t-shirt and all the dyes that you use as well. So such a massive issue. And Companies like Levi's are trying to do something a little bit different. So they've got this sort of waterless technology, which uses like 96% less water. And if you buy a Patagonia wow. garment, you'll see that they have like the amount of um, litres, the quantity of water that was used to produce each garment and how they're reducing it. So there are innovators in this field and the campus and the tutors and lecturers are really trying to flag up these innovators in the field and show that a different way can be found to push back against the world of fast fashion. That's so interesting. Do you know how they've managed to reduce it by such a huge amount? Presumably some kind of recycling the water that they use so that they don't just use it once and then put it out into a waste stream, you know, being able to keep it in the system. that That's kind of the definition of sustainability, right? Keeping stuff in the system for as long as possible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, apparently they've saved three billion litres of water so far um, and they've recycled more than one and a half billion of that. So they're just putting it back into the production process. Mm, that's amazing. Catherine Clark was showing me around the campus and she teaches fashion management, but she was talking about the issue of water as well. And she told me about how they teach students how to rethink design and to be more sustainable. We try to get the students to think about ways that you can reduce the negative impact that we have as an industry on other communities, the world, nature. 
And so we look at things that they can do in terms of water. There is a shortage of water, and yet textiles requires a lot of water to be able to create the outcome in terms of the feel of the final garment, to make the garment when we want to achieve a certain look. Particularly if you look at the denim industry, we see developments from companies such as Levi's and others that are looking to see how they can create the same outcome, but with a lot less water used in the process. And water is not necessarily just in the process of making the product, it's also in how we as consumers care for our garments. And it's trying to get us to change our habits of washing frequently. It's a really interesting point, isn't it? This is a whole system problem. It's not just, you know, reducing the water that producers use to make this stuff, but also influencing the behaviour of the users as well and trying to encourage all of us to be mindful of the resources that we're using as we are kind of enjoying that pair of jeans or that denim jacket. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be driven by the consumers. But I think it also relies on people in the fashion industry to find new ways and to innovate. And I think communication is so important in this as well, because as consumers, there's so much information and quite often misinformation about the choices that we make and the products that we're trying to choose between. And so I would really like to see these companies, you know, not only doing these amazing innovations, but also communicating to consumers and letting us know why their products are the best ones and helping us visualise those three billion litres that they've saved. That's amazing. I'd love to know more about that. What you see in the shops is generally white, isn't it? And then you print on top of that white or you dye on top of that white because if you're dyeing on something cream, then it's going to be a different colour in the end. So there's a real issue around that because obviously all this cotton is then mercerized and bleached and that puts a huge amount of effluent into water systems in areas that don't have the infrastructure to do it. So there is a lot of research around that and around water consumption because, yeah, textiles takes up a lot of water. And I think it's the second most polluting industry in the world. Wow, that's a shocking statistic. And I'm guessing that that's all because of the effluent that comes out of these processes and unfortunately makes its way into public water systems. Yeah, I mean, it's appalling to think about, really, because this is essentially just sustaining our desires to wear clothes <laughs> that are cheap, that, that cost the earth, but don't cost us. Um, and it's quite vain as well, isn't it? A lot of the time, you know, people have moved away from items with more longevity to, you know, just wanting something quick and easy. But I think that is not something that you can blame on individuals. It is the industry and people will go for the cheapest option. Grace talked a lot about the fact that people don't have the freedom to make these good choices to buy like a very sustainable item that's say been made with natural materials and has free repairs and might last a lifetime. And she actually buys fast fashion items like t-shirts. She was wearing a sort of quite cheap t-shirt that she'd picked up on the high street, but she says she wears it until it just has holes and it is just falling apart. And that's how she justifies it. She really gets proper use out of it. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point about the ability to repair. I think we have lost so many of those what used to be everyday skills in being able to darn socks to, you know, mend a hole in a pair of jeans. We simply don't know how to do that these days. Part of this puzzle of how do we reduce our consumption is keeping our items in use far longer by getting the skills back of repairing. 
at Harriet Watt, they're constantly trying to show students how they can sort of make better decisions and to, to sort of mm. lead by example. So there are a lot of changes in the industry, as we've discussed. So here's Catherine Clark on that point. There's grown awareness with consumers and where their product is coming from. And it's through this idea of transparency. We're seeing companies that are allowing us to see the whole process. They're providing us with film of their work. In some ways, they're celebrating their craftsmanship. They're celebrating the impact they're having in terms of positivity, in the way they look after workers, the way they treat their waste, that they're no longer throwing away their waste. So we're seeing a lot of change in the supply chain and how stakeholders are creating an opportunity for brands to do good. There you go. So I think we're looking for more from our brands today. We want a story, we want a narrative, but we also want to know that they are doing more than just delivering something for us, for a profit for them. You know, we we want to know that they are giving back, that this can become the standard for the future. Yeah, it's such an important factor for consumers now, I think insofar as these companies know that that is a positive aspect of their products now, you know, the sustainability of it is important to consumers. And so finding and amplifying those sustainable credentials, I know that I've seen adverts on social media that I know for a fact is really amplifying the kind of sustainability of the materials far beyond actually what I know them to be. So I think misinformation is quite dangerous and we need a lot more sort of checks and controls on how we're advertising these products, I think, to make sure that consumers really are fairly informed. There's so many things going on in the world right now and it's so difficult to kind of pinpoint. Do you focus on one thing or do you you try and make a difference in so many different areas? It's interesting because I've been to quite a few talks where people talk about wool and wool is an amazing fibre and it's great because we can actually grow it quite easily here (laughs) and it's very sustainable but it's actually also quite expensive and it's really only available to a certain part of society. You know, they're trying to bring it in but the thing with fast fashion is that it's cheap. (laughs) It's all like good and well that wool is a great alternative but is it affordable and it's it's not and a lot of it isn't even produced in Scotland anymore or in the UK you know it's merino is bought from New Zealand and then mohair is from the Middle East so can consumers really afford it? That's exactly it isn't it it's the balance between the affordability for the end consumer balancing up their desires to make a sustainable choice you know frankly for most of us generally speaking cost will win out. Yeah. It's a bit, bit, but there's hope. I think there is hope, and that's what I learned, you know, while I was taking the the visit round, because they they were they were making this important point that they know all about the bleaches and the dyes and the water consumption and all of these issues. And yes, they teach students with the most state-of-the-art technology and they've got 3D printers and they've got a Mac lab. They have sort of the ancient looms that they use, but they also have these super up-to-date looms as well. So what they have to do, I guess, as leaders in the industry is just show the students 
what are all the ways that you can make clothing so if they choose to go into sort of more industrial making then they have the skills to do that if they want to work in a factory but they're also showing them what the better ways of doing it are and then I guess it's up to this new cohort of students whether they take one path or the other. Mm, You know manufacturing I think is such a topic that I think we could all do with so much more of an education on. (laughs) You know I would love to sit in on some of these lectures and learn about the difference between small scale and large scale and how those sustainability credentials are won and lost in those different settings. It's so complicated but really important if we want to understand the sustainability question. And the fashion and textiles industry is a a big polluter, but it's also Mm. just so crucial because, you know, everyone needs clothes. We all wear clothes. A lot of people care about the clothes they wear a lot as well. So it's big in terms of money, but just in its sort of everyday importance to people's lives. We all need textiles in so many different ways. Medical textiles, we've got things like fibreglass. You know, there's a huge amount of things that they can do with textiles, which is really helping people with significant kind of health issues. And I think sometimes we kind of see textiles as being a bit frivolous, I suppose, with the whole fast fashion. And like people might kind of think, oh, studying textiles is a bit arty. It's a bit, it's not really going to get you anywhere, but it's the number one most, I know I work in it, so it's easy to say this, but it is one of the most important kind of industries in the world. That's such an interesting point that textiles goes far beyond just fashion and clothing. Grace mentioned fibreglass, you know, and carbon fibre composites also really rely on woven textiles. And that's what we make most of our aeroplanes out of and most of our kind of cars even now we're making out of carbon fibre. So these technologies are so widespread in our lives and I think most of us don't even really notice them. We're obviously talking about rethinking design at the university. So here's Catherine Clark talking about rethinking design at the Borders campus at Harriet Watt. With us, in terms of rethinking design, we look at the students in terms of their courses. When they are looking at a collection or they're looking to design a fabric, we need them to think about it in terms of the materials the end of life stage of that. What will happen at the end of the usefulness of that garment or that fabric? Is there some way they can build in that fabric being reused? Thinking about in terms of how to decompose, how long it will take, what the real impact is going to be going forward in terms of landfill. So we need the students to be thinking differently about when they're putting together designs, can they think of a better solution, knowing what the harm is that they can create, but also what the value is they could create by coming out with something that is less detrimental to the environment. I think Catherine's just perfectly summed up the design approach that we should be taking with all of our new products as we go forward into a more sustainable future. You know, it is all about life cycle. It's not just where is this stuff coming from and how are we going to use it, but what will the end of its life look like? You know, where will it end up? All of these questions need to be taken into account and asked right at that design stage, right from day one.
We'll be back with more stories from Harriet Watts School of Textiles and Design in a moment. But first, we're going to hear from a Harriet Watt graduate about how being at the university has given them new and brilliant opportunities out there in the real world. My name is Fiona Ford. I'm a researcher and consultant specialising in circular fashion products, business models and systemic initiatives. I graduated from a clothing technology course circa 2012 and I had actually done an undergraduate dissertation in uh, sustainable fashion but however found upon graduating that there weren't so many opportunities out there at that time so I went into uh, product design and product development. I had a 10 year long career doing that specialising in athleisure and activewear. The propulsion towards sustainability uh, happened like 2018. Uh, I was looking to kind of go back towards uh, sustainability as a career choice. That's when I saw the, the master's course at Heriot Watt. So I worked with, you know, interior architecture and design students and fashion and textiles management students to approach a variety of problems within our teamwork. And we would use prototyping and user centered design. It stimulated real innovation, really. What was really great about it, I got the chance to develop leadership skills there, which I hadn't actually had uh, exposure to in my previous career. It's a really exciting time in sustainable design for the fashion industry at the moment. If you're interested in sustainable design or sustainable materials for fashion, have a look at the Heriot Watt courses at hw.ac.uk. Fiona Ford there talking about her course providing a real springboard for her career. That course has been updated and is now the MSc in Fashion and Textiles Management, which focuses on the business and consumer behaviour side of the industry. Fiona studied at the Borders campus, but you can also study at Harriet Watt University's Dubai campus as well. You're listening to A Future Made, a podcast from Harriet Watt University with Anna Pajajski and Robbie Armstrong. So far, we've been hearing from Catherine Clark and Grace Smith at Harriet Watt's Borders campus. Still to come, we'll visit a business working in sustainable fashion in the Borders. I also spoke to Julian Malins, who's the Director of Research for the School of Textiles and Design, who also teaches the Postgraduate Design Technology and Innovation course. So we look at things like growing materials that provide new sources of fibre, and while we're growing those materials, we look at the ways in which those plants can maybe capture carbon at the same time. So we always look for synergies across different things in order to solve multiple problems at the same time. We're talking about where things come from, the materials, the resources, the effect on the planet of of using those materials and how we dispose of them, how we can reuse them, redesign them and so on. So design is, is like a thread that goes through the whole thing in order to try and rethink existing ways of doing things. One of the ways they're rethinking design of a very, very traditional material that goes back like 10,000 years or something is leather. 
So a real innovation in the fashion industry right now is with vegan leather. And I don't know if you know what that is, Anna. Yeah. Is this made out of mycelium, sort of mushroom, mushroom fibers? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I love this. I think it's so forward thinking. So they, they use the mycelial network of the mushroom, which is basically the actual mushroom, but it's below the ground normally. They use that to sort of thread together this floor of mushroom that then become something a little bit like leather, you know, almost very thickly compact, very durable. And like Hermes have actually collaborated mm. with this company, Microworks, for their fine mycelium project. Stella McCartney, they've collaborated with Milo, who make their own vegan mushroom leather. You've got Milo Stan Smith, so like mushroom made Stan Smith, the sort of classic Adidas shoe. So it's quite interesting they're introducing these concepts to the students. So, you know, very technological and very innovative ideas alongside your traditional loom processes and your sort of knitwear. Yeah, and in material science, you know, mycelium is such a hot topic at the moment in terms of there's so much research going on about these amazing fibres that can be made or that are made by mushrooms that can be processed and made into all these other types of different materials. You can even make building materials that involve mycelium as well. So it's a great biomaterial. It's sustainable. It will eventually biodegrade if you just put your handbag in the <laughs> in your composting if you want to after the end of its usable lifetime. So it's it's such an exciting material and it's awesome to hear that designers are really taking it up now. The future is mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. We also apply design to human behavior as well because a lot of these problems rely on us to change the way we do things you know, to start thinking about things differently. So people are very reluctant to change the way they do things, generally speaking. So how can design focus on that? And using approaches like game, what we call gamification, which is basically giving people different types of reward when they do things. They have initiatives like clothing swap games and sort of household recycling, but they've also mm. created these sort of apps and games where people can go into the app and use this. There's a, a digital styling gaming app called Dressed, and then they could actually try on sort of luxury goods virtually. Then you also get digital only shoes. So they're almost like NFTs, so non-fungible tokens. People buy, you know, fashion items, luxury fashion items that only exist in the internet and on the blockchain. So that's another way that, that people are working with sort of gamification. They're also using VR headsets to give people like a glimpse of Paris fashion shows. There's all sorts of ways of using this idea of gamification to create a more sustainable world of fashion. Okay, so that definition of gamification is definitely a lot more high tech than I had imagined. But it's got me thinking about another really important point, which is that in fast fashion, how many of us will order the same item of clothing in a few different sizes online and then try them on and then send back the ones that fit less? I know that there are huge fast fashion brands that once they receive those returns, it's actually not economical for them to process those returns, to open the packaging and then to restock those items. Instead, those items just end up straight into landfill, which is the most horrendously wasteful process that you could possibly imagine. And so, you know, that scenario, being able to try stuff on as close as possible to try stuff on before you buy it would end practices like that in an instant. I think it's such a good idea. The future of fashion, I think where we're going with it, is that we need to 
gets consumers to enjoy what they have and understand that less can be more in that you have garments that you are going to have for a longer time but that can only come from designers that can create garments that are more durable and they're more classic timeless pieces they're not those two week trends that are quickly replaced by something else and often you may find that social media you have influencers you have key people that consumers respect their judgment and what they're saying and maybe we need more of those people who do have a voice who are listened to can allow people to say or realize that they can make a difference and that's the problem we have as an individual we feel we can't make a difference but collectively we can I think that's hit the nail on the head, hasn't it? And I really think that point of influences and changing consumer behaviour is surely where this is all going to drive from, right? If the demand is there for sustainable fashion, then brands have to listen purely to protect their own bottom line. It's going to be a win-win, but we do need the consumers to act. But it all comes back to having access to true information. It would be great if the industry was able to be much more transparent with consumers, I think. Maybe could you see like the carbon footprint of each item of clothing? Can you imagine that? That could really revolutionise the fashion world and really change what items we purchase and the consumer choices we make. Yeah, like if you're looking at a whole load of T-shirts on a website, if you could select a drop down of not only list by cost or list by colour, but list by carbon footprint, then that would really change behaviour, wouldn't it? You should be some sort of fashion consultant or something like that with these like, innovative <laughs> ideas. Catherine Clark took me down to Innerleithen, which is not far from my hometown and not far from Gala Shields at all. And she introduced me to a business that was founded by an alumnus of Harriet Watt, who's actually taught at the campus as well. And she's doing some fantastic work in the world of sustainable fashion and seems to have learned all of these lessons from Harriet Watt to have um, worked in the industry and then to start her own company to do something different from the rest. So we're on Peebles Road in Innerleithen and here to have a look inside a shop called Findra. I'm Alex, Alex Feakin and I'm the founder of Findra and we are sitting in our Innerleithen shop in Innerleithen. <laughs> Which is, the, the shop is a former police yeah. station. It's where all the troublemakers came in the early days of Innerleithen. Findra is an outdoor sort of brand for like running and walking and cycling. Yeah, um, it's an outdoor clothing brand. I and my team together we design stylish, versatile and sustainable outdoor clothing. You can wear the products to do your activities, but also you can wear them to go for a coffee or go to the pub. So they're very, very versatile. And the idea behind that is that you're reducing your wardrobe down so that you have clothing which sees you through more activities each day. We try and use, as and, and we are using, sustainable materials which are natural or recycled raw materials. Um, the course that I studied was industrial design and textiles and the first year of that course was very, very creative. You studied the three textile disciplines, which is printmaking, weaving and knitting. And you also done a lot of sort of visual studies, which was more fine art type projects and things like that. So I, I really, really enjoyed all of that side of things in terms of the creative aspect of it. 
but I also really enjoyed the sort of industrial side of it and learning about how you actually make textiles. And then in my second year, we were asked to pick one of the three textile disciplines to specialise in. And I really loved knitting, and so I specialised in knitted textiles. For me, I loved the fact that you got a ball of wool and you decided um, what that was going to become, whether it was a, a garment or an interior product. And you got to decide how many different colours you used, you got to decide what the stitch structure was. Um, and I really, really loved the fact that you were creating and building something from scratch. And I guess that's kind of carried on throughout my career and also into what I've done with Findra because not only do I still design knitted textiles, but I have built something from scratch. So there's a kind of affinity to building something that I really, really enjoy. I loved my time at Harriet Watt. It was a fantastic period of my studies. Really enjoyed the course, loved being based in the Scottish Borders. I found it, and still do, incredibly inspirational. Um, the history of the textile industry means a great deal to me, and the skills that the people have in this region for making really high quality product is fantastic. And, and obviously over the years that's been reduced and reduced, but I think all of those things combined to really making me feel inspired to to start my own business in the Scottish Borders and to build it around what I love and know best. For me, sustainability isn't just about the fabrics that you use, it's, it's about creating a sustainable business. And a sustainable business is based on three things, which are financial, environmental and social. So to have a sustainable business, you need to make it sort of sustainable financially. You need to be able to generate enough income to put back into the business. Then there's the environmental part of a sustainable business, which is to take care of the planet and, and ensure that we're causing no unnecessary harm. It's easy to make kind of sweeping statements about how industries should be more sustainable but it's amazing to hear Alex's expertise on how you actually implement those ideals into making something that is genuinely sustainable. And you were talking about transparency in the industry you know you can go on to Finder's website you can actually read how their clothes are made and they talk about their seamless technology so apparently with whole garment making you tend to lose about 30% just through sort of cutting the pieces and threading them together so what they've got is sort of seamless technology right. with their merino wool so in doing that they're using a hundred percent instead of that like lost 30 those cuttings would just be mm. chucked out and to me that's really clever supplying the consumers that information is so clever because the more they learn about their garment the higher they will perceive its value to be you know the value isn't just this is how much money i've paid for this but it's the whole story and i think telling stories about our products it only increases our sense of their value and so I think that's extremely clever of Alex to have done that on their website and to make all of that information clear and to tell those stories in order to make sure that their products are as sustainable as possible throughout the whole garment life cycle. And that's the thing about the, the Gala campus. It is the past, present and future of the industry. You know, they've got the history there and then they've got the actual knowledge and learning and teaching and the, the business is active in the area. And they're also trying to innovate and to find solutions and to do things differently for the future. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think what I've learned from this is actually the emphasis on not only learning the theory at university, but also being equipped with the skills and knowledge to then go on and hit the ground running with your career. 
Thanks for listening to A Future Made. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for A Future Made to make sure you don't miss an episode. Or you can head over to the Heriot Watt University website at hw.ac.uk to find out more.